G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. I'm producer and host, John Murch. Today, a band releasing their first music in 20 years drops past. We had a little powwow after the gig, which was a yeah. sensational show. Like, it was an incredible yeah. show. Your last show was when yeah. George Harrison passed away. It, it yeah. was that, that night. I opened the gig with Long Live the Beatles, and I remember feeling a lump in my throat, like, I can't think about it or I'll cry. <laughs> the Enigma Bar. And after the gig, I think it was me, I said to the band, I said, look, I've got some things I want to do. You're pregnant. Yeah. Well, you and yeah. partner are having a baby. Yeah. I actually said, can we just take six months? I just, I've got some things I want to do. And I just wanted a break from it all because it had been so full on. So full on. Mm. So long. I think the shine had come off yep. by, at that stage, I think. And everyone agreed we were just going to take six months and then six months rolled into a year, rolled into two, and then comfortable with where it left. We didn't have like a final show or anything like that, you know, like we just... Yeah, yeah. we slipped out the back door sort of thing, yeah. didn't we? The Violets on when they wrapped two decades ago. I'll feature chat with them in a moment. But first... In the box. The Wettest 100 has been counted down, a response to the other 100 song countdowns that happen at the start of each year. Personally, I always make an effort to check in with the 100 plus one from 3D Radio out of Adelaide and the Hot 100 offering of the four Triple Z crew. But both have focus on the states, and rightly so, that they come out of. Enter a national poll that falls outside of genre worlds that others have cushioned themselves. The brainchild of engineer, songwriter and producer Becky Whitton. Rules were folks could vote for five left-field tracks released in the previous years by Australian artists, not featured already, not that the National Youth Station champions many left-field artists these days, on their Hottest 100 voting list. Before I say any more, at this point, 96 of the Wettest 100 cuts have been collated on a Spotify playlist. I've included that in our show notes. Top three albums are on Celine, Happy Axes, Maybe I'll Be Beautiful, and number one, Marcus Whale, The Hunger. Remember being introduced to them by Jack Colwell's remix they did. Here's the top three tunes that flowed to the top of the Wettest 100. Endless Summer by Sandy Heisu, Power by Louv, that's L-O-U-V, and the number one tune, Credit, by Prize Fight. That's the top music news from the inbox. I'd like to mention our guest Ali Smith of Blushface has teamed up with a friend Zach for an electronic side project called Poshi, spelt P-O-S-H-I, to find them on the socials and streaming services. First song from them, Helican. May remember they spoke about their soft spot for Bjerk. That's in the cut, together with atmospheric grooves. Real delight to listen to. Time now to head to our feature guests, whose album title has now been revealed since we chatted. It's called Smoke, Mirrors and Other Half-Truths. Please be advised, a name of a member of the Indigenous community who's now passed will be named in the up-and-coming conversation. Whilst the family has given the rights to the name to be used in legacy, it's important to let know for those members of the Indigenous community who do not wish to hear such a name that it will be coming up in the up-and-coming conversation, included also in the show notes so people can access the great music that they did. Just repeating, a member of the Indigenous community who has now passed will be named by one of our guests in the up-and-coming conversation. 
When the Big Day Out Music Festival came to South Australia, the first band to take the stage was the Violets. Formed in the 80s on a Saturday, supported the like of Ride in the 90s and reaching some amazing music heights across the following years. After two decades not being together as a band, the members have reformed and on the eve of releasing a new album, Peter Kershaw, drums, Gary Bowen, bass and Matt Cahill, vocals and guitar, drop past the new Radio Notes studio for a chat. This is the first time in a long time that the Violets have actually three of the members at least, have been in the same room. What is the dynamics like now that you are back in the same space, the same state? Officially, the ball was ended in 2001. I think it's better. There was a, a long pause where we, we sort of didn't really get in touch, but with the, the digital age, made things a lot easier, obviously. So texting and uh, FaceTiming and Zoom calls. I think the real catalyst was COVID kind of put the brakes on everybody doing anything. Uh, I guess you sort of navel gaze during that time and that's when the phone calls started going around hey you doing anything what are you doing you know like just a lining up of the planets really wasn't it a complete unknown as well i mean i hadn't seen jeremy must be 20 years mm. matt i maintained a friendship with very close gary i hadn't seen probably off and on over the years but um and you wonder we, how the chemistry will be yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely and just to answer your question when we got to the studio we're all what's going to happen? All <laughs> excitement and everything else. As soon as I saw Jeremy, I gave him a huge hug. It was just a beautiful moment. Same with Gaz. And we rocked in there. And within probably three hours, the chemistry was there. I think we wrote two songs on the first day. Yeah. It was oh, it well, was bizarre. Day and a half, we had probably five or six of those songs down. Quite exciting, you know, after such a long time. We went in thinking, wow, how's this, how's this going to go? Mm. And this is around November of 2020. Exactly a year ago. And this was in Wizard Tone Studios, which Correct. I have great respect for the oh, work yeah. they Fantastic. do. Talk to us about that space and what Wizard Tone offered you as a band. It's oh, a, it's beautiful. Yeah. So I call it the mini Abbey Road. Yeah. It just has that feel about it. Not that I've ever been to Abbey Road, by the way. It has that feel about it, that beautiful. And you walk up the stairs and then you go into the studio to listen back. But the room itself acoustically is great. The mic technique is magnificent. The guys any instrument you want is there. It's laid on. Wall-to-wall you know amps. Yeah. It's so spacious as well could have killed each other so we had to have some space yeah. in between us and so that was that was yeah. nice as well <laughs> but no the chemistry was definitely there it was, it was a great feeling well it was exciting to realize once we plugged in and we started jamming that wow it's back when you <laughs> mentioned five to six songs how many of those have ended up on the actual album all of them yeah all of them i, I think pete pretty well bought the shell of one song but other than that, everything was from scratch. It was only a basic shell. Like, every song starts with a shell or an yep. idea or a chord structure or whatever. Someone will bring it. And as a group, you start hearing, like, Jeremy's sound. Matt's the master lyricist for me. I rate yep. him highly. Locking in with Gaz again was, just, it was unreal. I mean, I left in 97. I departed in 97. And they had another drummer 18 months later for a few years. And, and I was still a fan of the guys then. And they made some great music. We'll start off with Sideways. How do we dive into Sideways? Because the chord at the start, bam, we're in. Incidentally, it was the first track we wrote. It was. Yeah. I remember thinking we got into the studio that morning and by the time we'd set up and had guitars playing 10 o'clock that morning, it virtually came out within the first 10, 15 minutes, those chords. And I remember being quite excited. I was thinking, wow, of the group of songs, that, that is a quite a strong song. I think it felt effortless. It did. It had that live groove that we used to get yeah. back in the 90s. And, yeah. uh, dun, 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 dun. and Jeremy's riff came over the top and was like, oh, started smiling. Jeremy has always been so creative. 
mm. how he came to the studio, he just came with a guitar and some effects where, and they were very guitar based as as opposed to his sonicness that he used to use back in the, the 90s. So I was a bit apprehensive <coughs> seeing him do that because I thought, oh, wow, he's just going to pair it right back to a guitar sound. But it was perfect. It was it was just spot on. Yeah, I think it was the springboard for um, being able to explore the chemistry of the band in a different way. We were kind of forced to approach it differently. Jeremy has yeah. no boundaries when it comes to making music. I think, and it's it suited us three as well. I think there's no, it just yeah, but there's still a sensibility about it that, that you can grab onto when you're trying to create. That's yeah, that's absolutely. what I like about it. As yeah. we're going to hear across this conversation, there is that period of absence as well mm. for the band. How much has that informed what the new Violet sound is going to be like? And I guess maybe for you, Peter, you've done a lot of live performances during that time. In fact, I think you probably all have done where you can a lot of live performance mm. in other bands during that time. But how's that informed this new sound? It is strange because I'm a different singer than I was originally in the Violets, that's for sure. And, and 20 yeah. years is a long time to yeah. just evolve as a person. The fact that we, the four of us were so different to begin with created a particular sound for the Violets. And I think the experiences that we've had since not being together and we brought all that back together again has created yet something else. It's a mutual respect for what everybody does that kind of is the nucleus of what we do. That sense of letting go of certain parts of our lives and our, our personality and being and sometimes the beings in our lives, that's happened for the band as well, I would guess, over that time, that 20 years of maturity. Uh, letting go of you mean the past? Or? We've all been to our own version of Helen back in between. <laughs> like you know, like everybody's done. You know the typical hurdles of life since we've last seen each other. Absolutely. <laughs> I think listening to the new songs in the last six months or so for me, I, I've I've thought back to the the previous years, twenty years ago when we used to write and record, and sometimes you get caught up with the. Uh, intricacies of the relationship within the band and that sort of takes the focus away from music sometimes mm. and to look at it now and just look at the music and I mean as a, as a more mature mature person to look back and think well music's what matters like we sometimes got caught up with some and plus we were young you know, kids, you know? kids yeah we were just kids with a passion to make music initially the phone calls were is anybody interested in doing this and everyone was it was a resolute yes from everybody and then it was planning it we had seven days because everyone had to fly in from everywhere else and all that sort of stuff. So we were very um, work-minded about it. We weren't there to stuff around. You know, We wanted a result at the end of it. But just the fact that once we started playing together, it was all still there, that was such a joy. Yeah, I'll never absolutely. forget it. Mm. Going, oh, my God, this is actually possible. Mm. <laughs> it, it way exceeded my expectations. <coughs> I, I, oh, I, didn't, I didn't think we were going to achieve what we achieved with that. So it was very no. pleasing. The mix is actually at the end of the recording process, but I actually want to mention at the beginning so people can listen through what you say now about it as we talk through these other tracks in a moment, and that of Brett Sodi of Sodi Pop. Talk to me about that experience because he also has been a long-time collaborator of musical ventures of various artists in front of us right now. Well, we met him when we were given... Oh, it sounds weird, but when we signed our second or third record deal we were given him as an engineer like he's your engineer voice you know like he spent a lot of years with you with the volatile as well so yeah well i've never used anybody else since back in the 90s i think when we recorded with him a lot of ease about him like he's a he's a really great guy and i think we all just connected with him yeah he doesn't flatten a good idea like if you want to be adventurous he, he'll support it right yeah. through to the encourage it does it also help that he's a local south australian 
instead of getting someone from Sydney who might be stuck in that sort of scene? Yeah, well, we were fortunate enough to work with other producers. Like, you know, we worked with Tony Cohen and we worked with uh, an English producer called Chris Dickey as well. So we'd worked with enough other people to mm. know, to contrast him, I guess. But he's basically part of the family over that yeah. time. As I mentioned before, his mates continued to work with him post-violets. And he brings just an enthusiasm. Love Lies in the Rain is another cut. Travel, the memories, the wonderment. Who is the nostalgic one out of the four? Or particularly out of the three here with us? We better clarify. Well, yeah. Hold on. Deny if that, stay fashionable. If we're going to run through every song... Why not? Lyrically, yeah. well, that's really your call, man, because you're... <laughs> no, yeah, well, that's Matt's, true. Matt's yeah. the key lyric writer. So musically, okay, so how <clears throat> we initially did it back in the 90s and how it still works today is the same formula. I guess with most bands, especially our little union, yeah. is we just jam. Conjure. You know, conjure, yeah. and things come up, and then you just you, you, you mould it into a song, flesh it out. Riff, it's whatever. Matt will scat over it, blah, blah, blah. Then he'll take it away and then write lyrics over it. Mm. Uh, you've written some lyrics in the past as well, but predominantly, 99% of the time, it's Matthew. But are those lyrics, Peter, based mm. upon the life experiences of other members in the band? Because I try to, having had a long conversation with Matt, try to relate some of these lyrics to his life. I'm like, oh, I hope he hasn't gone through that as well. I hope one of the <laughs> other members has gone through this. You wrote it, Matt. You answer it. I draw from everybody's lives. That mm. is true. You've busted me. Yeah, so if mm. I'm watching a friend going through something and I know I can relate, I don't do it deliberately. I just can't help it. I, I can't just write. I can't. I can't write anything that's kind of run of the mill. I guess that's you know very ordinary or pedestrian. I, I've got to write what I'm feeling about, or it, it's not sincere. That's all. How much is wonderment part of? Uh, well, let's ask Matt. Part of your life, Matt. How much do you fantasize off in the land of wonderment? Oh, constantly. I've developed a new technique when I approach a song now. Like when, when I scat for the guys in the studio, when we bounced it all down, I said to the engineer, don't use any of my dummy vocals. I want to forget all of this. And when I go away, I deliberately let go of it and forget it all. And then I have a red or two and I dim the lights and I sing whatever comes out. I just go for it. I don't write anything down to start with. I just let it come out. By having listened to the album seven to eight times, I get a very strong feeling this is a storybook narrative. Yeah. But sometimes I don't even see that until I zoom out and... Mm. Amplified by the fact that five to six of those songs were done within a couple of days as well. So that would sure. have been a headspace you may have been in at that time. Possibly. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of loss in my life and I think that is generally the kind of starting point that, I'm, that I come from. Are you less dark these days with the new record? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't know. You listen to a track like Sideways, that is quite a dark song. It's uh, Well, Here I Am is pretty dark. And Here I Am. But then my whole world is probably as poppy as we've ever been, you know. it's We tried to be dark but back in the day, but when we went in recently, we just did whatever came out. It just It is what it is. But, you know, Mary Who wasn't a dark track. Well, I was going to say, no, yeah. did you? Cutting across that, I mean, exactly, Mary Who. It depends who you work with too, that's the thing. Like, when we worked with Tony Cohen, he kind of extracted that really bouncy rock. Yeah, but we perceived yeah. a lot of the time as being, being dark, dark and yeah. shoegazing, which is, we weren't really. Sleeping Eyes was very straight up and down <coughs> pop. That was, yeah, it was, it was a rock track. Yeah. yeah. I think we kind of came out of bands like 
the straitjacket fits and the church and there was all that kind of kind of darky period. We were around at the same time. Like, did you mention Ride? I was going to mention Ride later. Yeah, those guys and they were darker than us. There was a period, and I know that a quote of Matt's that always sticks in my head. And back in the day when we had B sides, he said, "I wish we could just write B sides." And not have to worry about the singles, a single, you know, and and we did it. All he used to enjoy just jamming out on more obscure. That was also the pressure of the commercialisation yeah. that was occurring at the time as well. In terms of ride, it was that gig on the fifteenth of July, nineteen ninety two. It was a Wednesday yeah. at the Tivoli. Yeah, was it really? I remember being there. Oh, you were there? <clears throat> yeah, I was there. It was a ride. As I embarrassingly say, there was only one cover band I was ever in. Only one time I've ever tried to be a front singer was for a ride cover band. My whole world is a song we were getting up to. Those words that stick even define who you become, those things that we say, Matt, is that where we're going with this? I literally did carve some initials in a tree in Sheffield Street in Melbourne when I was very young, and I did cut myself, so I was able to draw on that. Look, I can't even remember what she looks like now. When you get to, um, you know, when you're over 50... You've got a lot of experience you can draw on. It's like a well just reached down into it. Shaken and stirred. Apart <coughs> from having the Bon-esque kind of feel, both in the title and the rhythm to it, is a bit of a nightclub late-night vibe. Well, it's actually kind of a spy story. That's a collaboration between Gary and I. Gary shoots me a whole ton of ideas, and then I kind of phonetically finesse it into it. I'm, well, I'm lyrically on that, but I think the <laughs> musically, I think it's something... Unlike the violets we've ever done before. It, yeah. It's got that sort of 50s Hollywood cabaret thing going on. Do you know, the truth is, I think we've got to a point now where what made the, the Beatles great was they didn't care what they approached. They didn't go, oh, that's pop or that's rock or that's whatever, you know what I mean? Like like Billy Joel said, I want to eat from everything on the menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just embrace whatever we do and we put our own little violet stamp on it in the end so we don't say no to Yeah, it's not ideas. written to be pop and it's not written to be rock. Like, we don't... Say, oh, let's do a rock track or a heavy track or this track. We just do whatever falls out. That's a good point. We don't follow the charts. There's a certain liberation in not being popular anymore. There's no expectation of where you need to reach. That's right. And it means that you can actually reach across the years and across the genres as well. We just please ourselves. And that's the key to why we like it so much. We didn't have anyone to please except ourselves. Let's talk about that guitar riff. It's good, isn't it? It's pretty good, isn't it? And and that comes about with Jeremy playing a, a Jaguar. Uh, just through a Vox, through a Vox, and it's just got that real kind of twangy, old school pedals, old school yeah. sort of. It's great, not rockabilly, but it's got that twang, you know, that surf twang kind of yeah. thing about it, and it was refreshing because, and and with Jeremy, you, you really don't know what you're going to get. You know, you're going to get something good, but you just don't know where it's going to be. You know, it's. I guess sometimes we do follow his his lead. Yourself, Gary, and Peter have that rhythm section down pat, but the way that Jeremy then introduces himself together yep. with, to have like a really jazz strong trio yeah. happening. It's not something that we've sort of ventured down before, really, that sort of style, but we all loved it. I don't think that was one that's There was no one, boundaries sort of, or no, we can't go here, can't go there. Yeah, that's it right. Just, it was just, as Matt said before, whatever came out, come out. We were there to please ourselves, and essentially that's what we did. One thing that we know about Matt's work, I do at least, is that when it needs an extra vocal, he's not afraid to introduce someone else into the mix. Well, I just wanted somebody that sounded a little 60s but didn't have a noticeably, overtly recognisable voice. I just wanted it to be, yeah. Machinations? Whose word is that? That was mine. You hated that one, didn't you, Gary? (laughs) No, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. Matt gave me a call and said, oh, do you want to collaborate on this song? Which, uh, vocally, it's always Matt's domain. I never try to 
muscling at all. It's, it's not my domain at all. But he asked for some, uh, some, yeah. Some well, we do, we generally out. did at least one song per album. We used to lyrically chuck a wording, just one, just to mix it up. So, so I, 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 it just evoked that whole, like I said before, ho- that Hollywood cabaret sort of feel. And I wrote a, like a little short story about you know it's kind of had that spy overtones and and Matt put it to to lyrics and voila. Let's talk about your favourite films, Gary. Yours oh, on the spot. Love Tarantino. His stuff's good, but I'm quite open. I, I like watching anything. I like the old Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry movies. Yeah, you got me on the spot. Mm-hmm. I love my favourite film is Shawshank Redemption, and you know, close second will be In the Name of the Father. Both brilliant films. Funny enough, Green Mile was on last night too. It's got to be in the top ten. Matt, your favourite? Oh, Jaws 2 and then Jaws 1, but in that order. No, I'm kidding. I'm Jaws 7 no, no, no. It's, um, Home Alone 3, did you say? <laughs> Home Alone 7. Rocky 14. No, the, uh, I think my favourite film of all time is Blade Runner. Peter, my question to you is, have you seen Peter Jackson, the Beatles film? You know, I, we was, I was hanging for it for months. I've only ever actually seen one hour. So I've got seven more hours to go, and I don't want to hear anything about it preferably but now we're on the spot we're in the studio i've got no choice matthew's seen it through and we're hanging to talk about it but it, uh, yeah. go for it i guess it's, i'll just block my ears oh it blew my mind <laughs> i think it's one of the greatest things i've ever seen yeah. as a long time deep fan it felt good to be that close to them it's changed my whole perception of everything since then let's talk about paul mccartney in your dream band he's my favorite well actually george Harrison's my favorite member um always has been and Back actually, I remember day, the last quick, time I spoke with George. I was just about to say a quick story <laughs> about the Violet's days. Matthew actually met him at the Grand Prix. I did. I had just mm. met George Harrison. Would you like an autograph? Pick name. Ah! Yep. Yep, got him. <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, can I have an autograph? And he's like, sure, who can I make it out to? And I said, oh, to Pete. So he wrote Mary. No. <laughs> and then about 10 minutes later, Pete rang me said, guess who's in town? And I said, I just met him. That was exactly those two Back before the days of mobile phones. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, so anyway, I've, I've had no, that No, I, little... I had a mobile. Oh, you told me on my Motorola brick. Okay. <laughs> I have it in a frame now. For years it was sitting yeah. in the bottom of a box. And yeah. um, I knew it was there as a memory box. But now a friend of mine saw it and he was a Beatles nut too. And he said, no, that's got to go in a frame. So he took it home and he built a frame with it and put three pictures of George, different mm-hmm. periods. And it's now hanging pride of place. So I'm very happy with that. Uh, Favourite member was always George Paul. I rate. If there was a film to be done about the Violets, because you do have that longevity, who would you get to direct that film? So Peter Jackson, of course, has done the Beatles. Well, I'd have to say Ashley Starkey, probably. Yeah, good call. Yeah, absolutely. Been there since the inception. Back in the 90s, he did a... Well, he did Piano Head. He did Piano Head, award-ringing video. He gets us, he... He understands what we're about and stuff. He's not, that, that yeah, be, you know, he's not yeah, sycophantic, but he's just a great filmmaker. Hi, Steve Davis here from the Adelaide Show podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll probably enjoy ours. We have an eclectic range of guests covering an eclectic range of topics, all to put the passion of South Australia on centre stage. You can find us at theadelaideshow.com.au and, of course, in your favourite podcast app, Spotify, everywhere you find them. Right now, though, back to John Murch and Radio Notes. Our very special guests are the Violets. I want to have a chat about Peter's most memorable gig. So do I. <laughs> because I was at this gig. Oh, beautiful. I think it was the one... Was that... I there? <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's, that's really crucial information. Off Rundle Street. Ooh. At Synagogue Place. Synagogue. Oh, oh yes. Supporting Max Sharam. Oh, yeah. Max. That was that was that definitely was up there gig, with yeah. one of the great gigs. Talk to me about that gig. For us personally, leaving Max alone for a minute, uh, the place was packed. Our song was on the radio. We, it just felt like that five-minute brilliant patch in anyone's life. We, we, were, we were tight. We when owned we, it. When we hit the yeah. stage, the, it was just and we just owned that audience. It was a magnificent feeling. We played tight. We Probably the mm. best we've ever played. And then Max come on and, and she basically sued us and said, get out of here. <laughs> You're the no, she didn't. <laughs> we spoke last year and she remembers it. Uh, what are your memories, Gary? Uh, I remember it being, I think it was like almost a pinnacle of uh, our time together. It was like we were riding a bit of a crest of a wave. And, and that night I remember looking up and I, for some reason it Shattered comes to mind when we were playing Shattered, mm. the crowd were just still and just looking at us and it just we just felt like we had them in the palm oh, of our hands. It they just, were very much there for you and that yeah, was the vibe of yeah. Synagogue. It's a music venue. You're not there for the drinks, you're there for the music. What, what happened to that place? That was a brilliant venue. It became a nightclub. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then Long I think gone. closed from there, yeah. Okay, what a shame. Marty I went there actually with my wife yeah, it was when it was a nightclub. Yeah. Marty Wilson Piper and uh, Steve Kilby. Did they? Acoustic. Uh, yeah, we yeah. were there. We were there. We went and saw that show. Yeah, thinking of we'll the just talk amongst ourselves, folks. Sorry, Piri yeah. Street. What was the place in Piri Street? I remember seeing Kilby. The Tivoli. Oh, no, that was no, 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 the office. No, where the bad loves used to play. Which bands of when the Violets were big would you like to relive like yourselves? Uh, obviously, you're rejoined. You're making new music. What band would you like now performing with you? Maybe they're not making music anymore, but you really want to bring them From back. From that particular period? From that period, yeah. Oh, gee whiz. Are we right together again? Yeah. They're, yeah. They're mm-hmm. kicking out again. Okay, yeah. well, that'll be wonderful. I used mm. to stand mesmerised at the Manabrot set. We right did a couple of shows with them, and I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out what they were doing. So I used to stand front and centre, and their mixer really had an idea of the width of how they should sound. And I just remember looking at them all and going, individually, when I look at them, it shouldn't work. <laughs> but collectively, it was mesmeric. Like, I would literally stand there and in awe, in a way. I remember seeing you guys perform live back then and listen, we will move on in a moment from nostalgia, but it was playing with the undecided second on the lineup for that as was well. The Rocks? Whereabouts? Possibly at La Rocks as well. You could see the potential. That was early days, wasn't it? La Rocks days. It was 91, 92. That first year. I mean, I don't have a diary on me. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going by uh, The Miltons was the other band Miltons. I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. The question was asked on your social medias if it was 92 or 93. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. checking the dates and checking a few other things, uh, e.g. when I'd left Triple M and how long I'd been somewhere else, yep. it'd be 1993. And you'd be right to think 1992 would have been a stronger time for you for that. Mm-hmm. But it was 1993. Dissolve would have been just released for the undecided. It happened that really time. quickly for us. We got signed and then there was an immediate need for material so we hit the studio within weeks we were with Mick Wordley yeah. it was kind of a rush really. that was not yeah we're getting our dates 93 we actually got signed it was jam packed it was like day in day out they wanted that material out yeah that was weeks we didn't have the luxury of taking time it was on a budget had to be done we didn't even really get to pick producers or anything like that what we mentioned in the introduction you were the first ever band in 
the Adelaide Big Doubt. So when the Big Doubt hit Adelaide, you were the first band on stage. stage to kick off the whole kitten group. And people were so excited about the Big Doubt being there. They were there from the start to the finish. It wasn't like sure. later on you just turn up for the big bands or whatever. They turned up for every single act. Absolutely. Yeah, they yeah. were hungry for it. <coughs> I have vivid yeah. memories of everyone running towards the stage, getting their place. It was huge. And it was being great. very hot. It was a very hot day. It was a oh, stinker. Man. It was 44 degrees on stage. Yeah, it was, it was damn hot. just insane. People had no idea what a big day out was, so they thought they could do the 12 hours, 11 hours, or whatever mm. it was. And so by the time the big acts, like Iggy Sonic Pop Youth. and Sonic, Sonic Youth, Youth were on stage. Iggy that day. We did. It was Iggy come backstage. Who was the... Disposable Michael Heroes Michael of Hypocrisy. Michael Franto was playing. And uh, Iggy was backstage just hanging to get up there. He was busting at the bit. I remember him saying to Michael Franti, I got this scar when I fell off an amp in New York uh, playing at some club. Mm. As they were playing, he got up for Foxy Lady and just mm. tore the place apart. It was fantastic. Mm. And afterwards, he had a good chat. And Michael Franti was a gentleman too. Mm. He was really nice to talk to. As we mentioned, you kicked off the whole kit and caboodle of what became Pretty the Adelaide Big Down series. And you got to do it twice as well. Yeah, we did. Our um, touring promoter was Catalyst, who were right in with Lee's West. So they wanted to feature us at every point possible, really. And so what was that live experience like back then to compared to how you're feeling it now, both emotionally as well engagement-wise? We haven't actually played live. <laughs> so we can't really no, compare we, we haven't played live as the Violets, <laughs> but we've all played together in other incarnations and whatever. Like, I think it's different now. You know that you're capable. Like at the time, I remember Pete Kerno said, I want you to open that show with Ain't Love Grand. And I was like, I don't think it's an opener. I really didn't think it was an opening track. But he goes, I want to hear the strains of the initial guitar chords just ringing out over the audiences. And, I really, and he had a vision, you know. And I remember standing up there playing it thinking... This is the wrong song. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, it's mm. not. But, but people look at you, they wouldn't know. Let's talk about the bands that you have been in. When I finished with the Violets, I had a whole heap of songs that I'd kind of written for the Violets. So I just put together a like a project crew to record those songs called Evolatar. And I've just been doing that ever since. Just kind of went well for me and I kept it rolling. Our chat with Matt is in the show notes. Gary, where have you been at? I've been doing... Not much at all, to be honest. By the time the violets came to a head, I think I was done with the kind of music industry. I, I, I love music, obviously, will forever. <coughs> but I think at that stage, my wife was pregnant. We ended up raising a family, and, and I just let music go for, for quite a while. Matt rang me probably 2012, something like that, and planted a seed about getting together and writing again. But it's taken seven or eight years to get to that point. But it was always in my mind that I wanted to do it again. But, yeah... In the last 20 years, I've just been a, a twiddler on the couch or at home. Can anyone speak to Jeremy, what he's been up to? He's a remote uh, recording artist all over Northern Territory. He still has his... He's got his solo project. He, did, he did a bit with Gurumul, I know that. Um, went to New York with him. Went to New York with Gurumul. Cooper Black. Cooper Black, he's been very prolific with Cooper mm. Black. He's, gee, what be at least half a dozen releases with Cooper Black. Records predominantly Indigenous artists across the Northern Territory. Peter, I want to ask you about Kennet and particularly that element of the dark blues. Mm. Do you want to talk to us about the live music you've been doing with Kennet? Uh, up until a year ago, yeah. that was I was attracted to that. Nigel is a very dark songwriter. I love Nick Cave. I love that sort of element. That was probably as close as I got to the violets again. 
performing live. It's hectic, it's scary, it's unpredictable. Some people hate it, which I love. I love that idea of it's pretty intense. Re- repelling people. <coughs> yeah. So call it blues. It's not blues, but what is blues? I, I haven't had the privilege of listening to the music, and I did try to find it, and I ended up just finding Jeff Ken. <laughs> is it like John Blues Explosion? Take it right out of the blues, because the blues police will be listening, and it's but not forget about blues. Forget yeah. about blues. Right. Essentially, uh, it's hard. To, how did I describe it? Uh, very dark. He's got a what did you call it? Johnny Cash sort of a low voice, but the guitarist actually comes from um, a local metal band, Young Alex, and he, he's it's a hybrid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you got you got Nigel on acoustic guitar who comes up with all these things, and you got Alec, and then just, and I'm, I think I'm the third drummer to come through. We're a bit idle at the moment. I was attracted to it, the music big time. There are other live music experiences that have been taking your time since 2016. I've been heavily involved with theatre music. We did a tribute to George Harrison with the highlights. A lot of dare I say cover bands or tribute bands. I know people can't stand that Hello Gwyn, uh, that term. But uh, it's kept me busy and interesting. I think last, uh, about 40 months ago, I was approached by a local band, Mojo Dingo. And they are specifically American South Blues influenced uh, Bondi cigars sort of sounding stuff. But, and funky and soul driven, which I really dig. I've had so many gigs with them this year, it's been great. We just recorded an album. A few months ago, stoked with that. It's only a short album, but it's getting some really good reviews overseas. Oh, man. It's a great record. It got picked up by PRS Records, which was yeah. phenomenal. One level you're talking about repelling the audience, but then the whole idea of doing cover tribute type music is to actually draw them in. hug and embrace <coughs> and draw them into memories and stuff. My tastes are eclectic. That appeal of Kenner was a small part of me that absolutely loves that. It's probably not something I'd go home and listen to 24-7. I'd rather go home and listen to Simon and Garfunkel or even a Neil Diamond song, you know, and then some Kenner and then some Nick Cave and then some Beatles and then... Some Robert Plant. But can I say something? Yeah. You, you would only tribute to a band that you love their material. Mm, I, I did haul yeah. myself out for a <laughs> couple of years, but... What is it about Split Ends then? I do love Split Ends. Yeah. Oh, but what's not to like about them? Uh, theatrical, brilliant band, musically. If you break it down and listen to the... Structures of the songs, especially the keyboard plaque, and magnificent songs which morphed into Crowded House. Neil become a wonder. So to, to perform those songs live is, is, is a challenge. I'm smiling the whole way through. We did a French show this year, and we're not a tribute band. We are just playing their songs. Mm. Had a packed show at Norwood. Every song they were singing along to, they adored it. We started the year having a chat to Kyan Burns, which was a suggestion of the show on Five PBA. They said we should have her as a guest, and I thought let's. I reckon 5PBA fits into the history oh, of yeah. the Violets. Is that right? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, big time. Absolutely. We, Matt and I go back well before the Violets. We had a little band called Listen Here, which uh, morphed in later to the Violets. But we won a competition. Songwriting competition. And we performed live out at the Salisbury TAFE. We got a mate who had a home studio to do like a terrible home demo. We sent that in and we won... A day's recording. Of course. What do we record? Don't take my mind. Mm. We'd already done a track at 202. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. And I reckon that's the one that won us the competition, to be honest. First start a band, that you know, you, your first uh, entry into airplay air is kind of with those sort of radio stations, you know. Mm. All the winners. 
Yeah, got invited to do a concert there. Yeah, of course. That's yeah. Right, we did. And that was that was actually 1989. Going back in my memory bank, September. So there you go. And then Gary and I and Jeremy did a cassette, and we just used the drum machine. And the only reason that I didn't ask Pete, so I didn't think he'd be interested in the material. <laughs> I come from a, <laughs> I come from a hard rock background in my teens. So I was more Bonham sort of stuff and. The stuff that Matt was showing me was, to me at the time, ignorantly, I was calling it flower stuff, you know, just very soft. That's just youthful ignorance. And plus, I'm a contrarian at heart. <laughs> <laughs> but when it came time to demoing, we just invited Peter in and that's where it really began. Mm. And so that's the step from 89 to 1991. So the Violet started in 1991. So that's over 30 plus years as a band. Sure. Mm. Can I take you, Peter, to 1980 and the Christmas of 1980? What was in the garage? Oh, bless. It was a shiny drum kit that my folks managed to hobble together. It was, In retrospect, it was a 50s drum kit, barely hanging together. But, uh, yeah, I ran in, it was sparkling, it was beautiful. I jumped on it and I hadn't stopped since. And mm. can I just chime in and say that I've seen the Super 8 footage from that day. Mm. And it's incredible to watch, like, he could already play. <laughs> oh, I was banging on everything anyway. I was tapping on, as drummers do, you can pick a drummer straight away when I start tapping on everything. And mm. But there's a strange thing when you're a kid and you, and you, you love music. That's all-encompassing. Mm. And you just have this belief inside you, well, I don't care what you think. Mm. You know, I'm going to be, I hate the word famous, but there's no doubt when you're a kid. I knew we would would be signed mm. I could feel the energy of the group it was bigger than the four members you know yeah mm. I'm sure a lot of people think that as they grow up but I was lucky enough to meet Matt form a great friendship and these guys got together and jammed and then I joined a bit later so that was fluky mm. but a beautiful thing and as you said that was that was 1980 and and yet again we're, we're now talking like 40 plus you're scaring me with figures oh that's <laughs> you're scaring the hell out of me figures are scary <laughs> aren't they Less scary is Gary and how he got his first instrument in introduction to music. It was probably a couple of years after Peter getting his first drum kit. It was about 82, 83. Me and a f my guys I was hanging around with, we were kind of into that kind of sex pistols, jam, clash sort of stuff. We decided we want to get a band together. I remember going to, I can't remember the name of the shop, but it was in uh, Flinders Street. And we, I went in there with my dad and I got a, a Les Paul copy. I was not playing guitar at the, in those days. How old were you? 14, I think. Okay. I ended up playing 14. that guitar. It's a yeah, bloody actually, heavy piece of equipment, I tell you. It was heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not the biggest fellow, and I remember it being quite heavy and giving me shoulder aches even as a teenager. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> played guitar in, in my first couple of bands, but I think as I got older, sort of towards 20, I sort of moved away from kind of that sort of punk. You're a big Clash stuff. fan in all those bands. Well, I still am. Love, yeah. love the Clash. Yeah. Got into a lot of Australian independent sort of music, mid-80s sort of time. And then when I first met Matt, we just sort of hit it off straight away. We had very similar tastes of music and it was almost like a leaving behind my past, you know, and it, and it felt like a step up. It felt like these guys are serious. They want to make some really good music here, you know. You did a cassette. It was, I've still got the cassette. I should have brought it in, actually. Called hey. Violet Town, if I may mention the name. <laughs> That's what they called themselves after a church song. And I was hovering around all the time, and then Matt said, oh, come on, and I kept on coming for jams. Yeah, mm -hmm. and said, uh, I don't know. Pulled an engineer in to my home, and we actually set up a recording studio in my home, and it was full on. There mm. were machines and wires going everywhere, and 
I've just never enjoyed something so much in all my life. I've been addicted to recording ever since. So the Violet Towns, is that, I don't want to ask if people are listening going, oh, so is that where the name The Violets came from? Well, we got a call from Violet. There was a band called Violet Town already and we didn't realise. And we got a call from their management and they said, don't do it. Violet Town, that was the cassette you had? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Jeremy came up with the name, and we just called it The Violets, when I joined. But I should think it was me. And now, as it turns out, The Violets, I think there's about... Eight violets around worldwide. Well, I was going to ask you, the Violets WA have just released their debut single. Wow. Uh, At the end of the day, I guess... There was a punk band, I only found out a couple of years ago that there was a punk band from Athens, Georgia that had a two-year head start on us. But back in the day, you didn't really have the internet and you didn't really know. Yeah. And, you know, there was a Nirvana before there was Nirvana. I'm going to put in the show notes the WA one because they are really good. The closing track, Here I Am, Strains of Relations, Who Gives the All, as well as Mercy Lips, I'm, I'm still reading into all that. This is going to go off live. Yeah. There's so much body and flow to the song. I think it comes about with Jeremy striving to chase different avenues and that moment he had the, the keys out and that riff came out and I think sometimes one person might be in the room just playing, tinkering, you hear something and then we just go, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, well, my memory is that we didn't demo that. No. You know how we'd been demoing little live things? Jeremy stuck his little um, recorder in the middle of the room. It's just phone recording you're referring to. But we didn't do that for Here I Am. It just eventuated on the spot. My my recollection is hearing Jeremy play and and Pete turning his head going, wow, what's that? The freedom of the longer track as well, I think radio should really embrace this one as well. It does sort of head towards that six-minute mark, but at the same time, like a good ride song, as we mentioned previously in this conversation, if it becomes the final track on the album, it really will be leaving us a little wanting as well, which is not necessarily a bad thing. No, absolutely not. Good call, yeah. What are you looking forward to releasing this music? Um, It's it's funny, I think back in the day, you you look forward to getting the CD in your hand, but those days are gone, so... um, The vinyl, maybe? The vinyl, maybe, oh. yeah, the vinyl. That would be lovely. Just, to, it'd be interesting to see how people react. Re- react, yeah. Their memory of us, if it's still around. It's not that far removed from what we did sound like. If you've got a band you're into and they come out with something new, just curiosity's enough to make you venture in. What about the new audiences? How's your vibe on that, or can you not even gather how they will react? No, I played it to a really young guy. First impressions, he goes, I'd, I'd buy this even if I didn't know it was you. Mm. This is the type of thing that I'd like to listen to, so that was assuring. Again, going back to before when we were talking about we had no idea. We didn't like prepare or yeah. write specifically for that market. Well, I have no idea who's listening to what these days. I How great it is to not write for a market, which I know Matt touched yeah. on before, but, but Gary, your vibe on that as well, to, to not have a market mm. after so many years, and particularly in those very formative years, having a market. There's silly pressures associated with it. I remember when our singles did well on radio, everyone was our friend, and when they didn't do as well, we couldn't get that's a like, door open. That's like everything in life, though, isn't it? But it was kind of shocking mm. because we knew these people intimately. Mm. And then things would go well for us, like incidentally a song would do well on the radio, and then suddenly all the doors were open and the phones are ringing, and then when they didn't... And I, I found that really difficult to tolerate. I thought, human, human nature. You know, are they disingenuous? What, what are these people like? Try 25 years yeah. in, in radio and then calling it a day. Oh, man. And that's why mm. I was determined to do it my way. That's why I started my label, because I wanted like a co-op of great musicians mm. without people that are fair-weather friends. You know, I'll stick with a band no matter what. 
The music world is full of fair weather friends, though. Mm. What did Ozzy Osbourne say? You meet a lot of people on the way up. Mm. Be good to them because you've got to meet them again on the way back down. Mm. Thanks very much for joining Radio Notes today. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks very much. Thank you. The Violets. Matt Cahill, Gary Bowen and Peter Kershaw. New album, first in over 20 years, out in 2022. New album, Smoke, Mirrors and Other Half-Truths, is out the 4th of March, 2022. Next time, I'll dive into the archives for a guest from the past. I'm leaning towards Reg Bombassa of Mental As Anything, though there's also been a number of requests for the full chat with the Wiggles from a number of years ago. So maybe them. We'll have to listen to find out who I decide on. It could be Sia. Thanks to the Violets for being our guests today. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 